here with Elise. Elise, thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So tell me about uh, your senior year so far. What's going on? It's the spring. Things are winding down a little bit, I suspect. Yeah, bittersweet, bittersweet. Um, I've actually had a great senior year so far. I've been blessed. Um, I applied early decision into the school that I really wanted to go to. Um, and I was luckily accepted, and so that's made my second half of the year um, a lot more stress or like stress-free than the rest of my friends, mm-hmm. which has been um, I'm just beyond lucky for that. Um, and that's been super exciting. And senior year is just the best time to really continue to embrace the friendships that I've made throughout my four years at Bryn Mawr. Um, and I love Bryn Mawr with all my heart, and it's getting sad and bittersweet to leave. Um, but I'm just trying to capture the moments that I have left, at least. So how long have you, did you go there your whole life, pretty much? So actually, my sister's three and a half years older than me, and she was a lifer at Bryn Mawr, so she started in kindergarten, went all the way through 12th, um, is at Colgate University now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually didn't start until sixth grade, and so I went, well, go sixth through 12th. Um, I went to West Towson Elementary. Uh, we used to live over in Towson, and there was no public school that my parents wanted to send my sister to and it opened up and my grade was the first grade to go from kindergarten to fifth um and so I met great people there like Andrew Kang went there um Chase Spurrier a couple people from Gilman um and I still keep in touch with a lot of them and they're all great kids uh but we all parted ways and then some of us have come back together which has been really fun Mm -hmm. um and I loved my time there um but I've definitely loved my time at Bryn Mawr more for sure so if you were going to give a tour of Bryn Mawr for a student that was kind of looking to go there versus Roland Park and mm-hmm. McDonough and some of the other, and NDP and some of the other schools around here, what would you really highlight on your tour, your kind of uh, presentation on what Bryn Mawr is like? Yeah. Well, first I'd dismay a couple of those, um, or dispel a couple of those rumors that uh or stereotypes that Bryn Mawr is super competitive or super cutthroat because, um, and I always say this to anybody looking at Bryn Mawr, Bryn Mawr is not competitive with each other. It's more competitive with yourself and where you want to push yourself to. So if you don't want to push yourself very hard in your classes, you don't have to. And you'll still get a full Bryn Mawr experience with great friends and great teachers. And honestly, I think that is the best part of Bryn Mawr are the teachers. Like, I've always been someone who's very teacher-centric, who really appreciates the connections that I make with my teachers. And so Bryn Mawr has always been perfect for me in that sense because all of my teachers have always been so apt to help me and excited to and um, I always say that the teachers at Bryn Mawr view you as an intellectual equal which is something you don't get everywhere until you go off to college and they treat you like an adult and so I think that's something that Bryn Mawr's students have up on everybody else when they go to college is that they already know how to interact with professors like they're real people and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're there to support them which I found has just totally changed the experience and makes learning so much more fun than it is and that's the real thing about Bryn Mawr is it's focusing on learning more than grades so like any teacher will tell you at Bryn Mawr that they don't care what you get on a test as long as you truly feel comfortable with the material and are inspired to keep going and to keep working forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you have the uh, Harkness tables over there. That's kind of a big uh, part of the experience Mm -hmm. with teachers because the teachers kind of sit around the table. And even though we do that here in English classes, Mm -hmm. I think the furniture does play a big role in that 
that feeling of being included and everyone having a voice and the teacher kind of being on the same plane Mm -hmm. almost in the discussion. Yeah, and when I used to give tours of Bryn Mawr to families in middle school, I would always take them by, um, in the middle school there's only two or three Harkness tables, but they're so important. And I, it's, it's a bizarre concept because not a lot of other places use it, but they are so helpful because it just gets rid of all the stigma and the, the biggest part is that everybody looks at each other. There's no way that somebody can just hide out and not talk. Mm-hmm. So it forces everybody to be a part of the conversation and also it creates an atmosphere where people want to get the people who aren't involved, involved. So um, in middle school, I know we haven't used this in high school since people are so much more excited to talk, but in middle school they used to have us, um, if we noticed that somebody wasn't talking, we'd say, oh, Ava, I wonder what you would think about this part of the book. And so it just kind of helped people get comfortable with speaking out loud. And um, so I lead something called Ethics Bowl in our school, which is like debate, but um, with only ethics. And I found that that has been a really key player in my ability to speak and articulate myself in class. And I find that the the junior seniors that join the Ethics Bowl team are it's crazy to see the difference between them and the freshmen and the freshmen are so intellectual but they just don't know how to articulate yet and it builds up in those years and it's one of the things that i've noticed that Bryn Mawr does really well in comparison to other schools is just that i see that people are able to express themselves freer and also just like with more confidence Mm -hmm. interesting so how'd you start this ethics bowl club is it a club yeah it's a club so it's a club, but it counts as like an activity because it's a lot of work. So we start in um, September and go till February when we have our regional competition. So a little backstory on the club. It was started um, my sophomore year by um, Anna Bez, who was a senior that year, and Ali Gordy, both of which I was friends with. And Anna Bez pulled me aside since she was friends with my sister and said, you know, you should really join my new club. And so it was kind of one of these things, like, okay, okay, yeah, I'll come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I ended up falling in love with it. And I had, I've had an incredible time doing it. And the people that I've, that joined that sophomore year are the same three people or four people that were my um, team this year. So it was like a really nice rounded out moment. Um, but I will say like, it's a lot of work. We start and we get a case book of 15 cases and they're all hypotheticals or real life um, situations. So this year we were talking about all sorts of things. Like in the past we've talked about should um, Paralympic athletes be paid less than Olympic athletes because they don't bring in a, as much revenue in ad sales. Um, but is that ethical to do? Like even though it's logical, is it ethical? Um, we've talked about lowering the drinking age. We've talked about all sorts of topics, um, but we get 15 cases. You have to completely memorize your stances on them, be ready to compete, and you go to a regional competition. We are in the mid-Atlantic region, which just happens to compete at U Baltimore downtown. And last year we came in second place. This year we came in first, um, which put us into this national qualifier bracket. And we played a team from Cincinnati and won and went to nationals at UNC. So mm. that was just, um, God, not this past weekend, but the, uh, the prior. And it was incredible. It was just, it was so much fun and such a great reward to the three years that we've put in. And it is really nice to see such a young club find success um, in the way that we have. And it is a really important skill, especially um, I'll be studying biomedical engineering in um, college 
and I'm planning to minor in bioethics because I've had such a positive experience with this. But I think that anybody, no matter where they're going in life, can totally benefit from ethics classes because they just teach you how to be a better person. Yeah, that's interesting. Does somebody lead this club? How big is the club? And do you guys all stick together for these mm-hmm. three years in the in the program? Yeah, so we have new members every year. You have to try out to be on a team that actually presents. Now, the club is actually bigger than just the team. So the teams are five people and then two alternates. Um, but then there's other people in the club that just do research or just come to provide insight into our conversations. And we meet every single Friday. And um, the leaders are myself, um, Christina Susu, Grace Martin, and Maggie Lynch. And uh, so we're the four leaders, and we split up into two teams. And then um, my fifth person that I've been with all these years is McKenna Bachman. And so this year, the um, us five, we were competing um, together, like in the national qualifier. But we actually have a green and a gold team for Brynmar Colors. And something that we do that we find personally super helpful and why we think that we've had so much success as a young club is that we don't divide JV varsity, like one team loaded and one team not. Mm -hmm. We divide by skill and experience all the way down. So there's one freshman on each team. There's one new junior on each team. And then our four senior leaders, we divide into twos. So that way, everybody has the support they need instead of just buffering up one team to just kind of take the one and it worked so there's 24 teams in the region in the mid-atlantic region and both of our teams went to the semifinals, which was just four teams um and then and one of our teams ended up winning and qualifying for the next round and then in that round we were able to switch around so it was all the seniors but we're the four leaders but honestly it, it is completely a group effort um and we would not be where we are without their help I like that. I think that's good for any team, even you know, sports, having some of the younger guys, the freshmen yeah. involved in the – because then they learn how to be leaders. They learn what it looks like, and the club is going to be in good shape even when you leave, yeah, exactly. it sounds like. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's super exciting, and it can be a daunting thing to kind of um, get people to join because it's known for it being a lot of work. But the benefit is, is it's a lot of work through February, and then – since we won our competition, those 15 cases, we actually got 15 new cases to learn in a month, which was definitely difficult. Um, but again, like when you just have so many people trying to support you and behind your back, it makes it so much easier. And luckily, like the Bryn Mawr faculty was very understanding when we went away for the weekend and when we needed extensions on homework because we were just busy practicing all day, um, which was just so helpful. And I'm very grateful to be in a place that so this takes up a lot of your time, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say that in the fall, it takes up less of my time. It's just that one-week meeting. Mm-hmm. And then I'd say January and February, it's almost all of our time. And it's funny because the group of five or four girls that um, I've become super close with these past couple of years are not people um, – I necessarily see on a day-to-day basis and we're all like from different friend groups or different like just classes whatever but we just bond so tight for these two months and it's incredible and they're all such great people um and so i'm super lucky to have that as kind of just another outlet for Mm -hmm. me yeah so you've got a lot of different things that you're involved in i know you swim right yeah you've got swimming and then the musical are you still doing the musical 
yeah, so everybody should come see Into the Woods. It's going to be very good. Yeah, Mr. Um, Rao, I subbed for his class yesterday because he was going up to Penn State yeah. to pick up all the costumes mm-hmm. and the material for the musical coming up. Yeah, he came in at the end of rehearsal with all the costumes, so we all got really excited. It'll be hot, long sleeves, long dresses, but... Um, that's always a really fun part when we've spent so much time blocking it, singing it, making it perfect. And then just to add on the final touches are always really exciting. Um, is that where you guys are right now? You're just get, getting it ready to go. When is it? Two weeks? Yeah, it's the first weekend of May. Um, and I don't know if we're on final touches. But yesterday we did an entire run through of Act One, which I know we all desperately needed to just sit down and just do it. Um, and that felt really great. The biggest part is is getting the music down. It's a very involved musical because there's not just two or three main characters. There's like seven or eight, and they're all interacting in all of the scenes. And so it is really important that um, all of the people are there for every rehearsal, which is unfortunately not usually the case. And I myself was somebody who was gone for three weeks on vacation. Um, so it's all about like what a person can dedicate to that. So like I went home, I watched the videos, I practiced, I practiced, I practiced, and now it feels like I was never gone, which is nice. Hmm. The musical, I am here sometimes walking around, because I live on campus now, so I'm walking around or I'm, you know, I sometimes like take a walk at night and sometimes it's like nine o'clock at night and Mr. Rao's car is still here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, we practice um, like six to nine most nights. And then when it gets really heavy, I don't know. Later than that. Much later. I'll sometimes be, you know, be like 11.30 midnight, and my mom will call me and be like, are you on your way home? It's like, oh, I'll be home at 15. Like, um, because when we get to those final weeks, like Mr. Rowell is very kind in the way that he never wants to hold us that late. But if we wrap up at like 11.15, then there's 15 minutes to take your costumes off, 15 to hang them up, to clean up the rooms, to, mm-hmm. to put your set pieces back. Like there's just a lot of behind the scene little things that go into that. Um, so what makes, you've done this for all four years of high school actually, musical? I have not. So I first started um, my in sixth grade, I auditioned for a play at Bryn Mawr. Um, it's where I met Anae, who's become one of my best friends. Um, we've been, we became best friends then and have stayed close. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, me and my friend Mia, who is an incredible actress um, and has been the lead in most of these um, shows in high school, um, and I were the only sixth graders at Bryn Mawr who made it. It was just all seventh and eighth graders and then kids from Gilman. And that bonded us because we actually split a role. There was only supposed to be one person in the role, and the director knew my sister, and I think she took some pity on me and was like, oh, let's give me something. Um, but I started then, and I went all through middle school. I did freshman year. I did Cinderella at Bryn Mawr, um, and I met my two best friends that year who were juniors. Um, and then COVID hit, and I didn't really want to go to practicing in masks, and I didn't want to just – it was just so different. And I knew I was waiting for the right opportunity to come back because I personally prefer a Gilman show, um, even though last year was my – first Gilman show um, because of the timing and I knew that starting my junior year I did not want to be doing a a musical on top of schoolwork on top of everything because that's junior year is just such an important year Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I made sure um, to keep that until um, the spring and I did Bright Star and I had an incredible time and it just kind of reminded me what it's all about and the really the most important part is the people 
and all of the people I've met through theater have been incredible because everybody is so themselves. Like no one is trying to put on a fake persona. Um, Mm-hmm. And, and they're just really real people who really care about you and about the play and about making sure everything goes well. Mm-hmm. So what makes all of the work and the long nights and kind of doing your homework, studying while you're at Gilman, what makes it all worth it to you to take part in the musical? Yeah, I, it's it's not even the shows themselves. Like it's not the performances. It's not the applause at the end. It's almost like um, a mutual feeling that we've all gone through it together and we've all made it through the other side and we've truly put our all in and created something beautiful to be proud of um and it's almost like submit uh, like finally submitting a super hard assignment like that relief to just be like oh like we proved that we could do it Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of like the beautiful moment for me um but i mean just seeing my like the fellow people in the show singing and dancing and seeing the scenes come together is just like incredible and it's interesting because most people don't know that I do theater at all. Um, and when I tell them, most people are surprised because that's not really on my like scope of things that I usually would do or be interested in. Um, but it really is something that has been super important to me. And my sister was the same way. She was the one who like inspired me to do it in the first place. Um, and she was in Guild Musicals here too. Um, and I know that it's just one of those things where when I look back in 30 years, I'll be like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. Yeah. Instead of just went home after school and got an extra hour right. or two. And yeah, like a six to nine rehearsal is tough with work, but I'm somebody who, if I don't have something on my plate, like I'm probably not going to do my work. I'm going to postpone it off. But if I know I have something, I can get it done. Yeah. It almost makes you more productive yeah. to have the yeah. built in, you know, six to nine, I've got to do the musical. So I have to do my homework. Exactly. At another time. Yeah. yeah. Love the Bryn Mawr Library. It's one of my favorite places. Got nice like window seats that I love to just hunker down in for a little while. Do you guys have a similar schedule as Gilman? Because Gilman's schedule is, it's really nice, but it's, 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 my favorite part about Gilman mm-hmm. almost is the schedule that we have right now because it's you, you do your classes in the morning, then you have lunch, then you have assembly, yeah. and then the afternoon is very wide open. It's that's pretty right. free. I think it depends on the person. So that's when we have our clubs. Um, we used to do them during lunch, but now they've like made us all do them in the afternoon. Um, but what I'll say is, yeah, we have that same morning schedule of the three periods, then lunch. Um, then we have convocation, which I know you've attended a couple of, mm-hmm. um, which are always great, um, and advisory on Wednesdays. And then most days you're free. Now one day every two weeks you have to go to dance class to practice for gym drill, right? Um, which is our little culty dance celebration, which is totally the highlight of every single one of my years. Is it? Yes, it's the best. And I'm, again, this is something that not a lot, like if you didn't, no explicitly like I love to dance but I would never dance on my own I would never whatever but in dance class I love to do it and um, it's it's just so much fun I I enjoy it so much so I always look forward to that um, because it's also just a day where you can just have fun with all of your classmates and celebrate the fact that we're toward the end of the year and again it's one of these things where it's like you went to dance class all year and now you get to celebrate and there's a little um, ceremonial banner toss or like um, switch between the grades, which I everybody always gets really excited about because it's just like embracing a new year of life. So gym drill is on the turf at the end of the year and each grade does their choreographed dance yeah. that they've been working on all year. 
Yeah, so we start with a opening dance or opening exercises, which are these exercises that have been going, I think Jim Drill's been going like 123 years or something, um, just a couple years after the school was founded itself. And um, these exercises have stayed the same, the majority, they're kind of funny. Um, but then we do an opening dance, and they usually have a theme this year, we don't really have a theme, uh, but there's been Motown, there's been Aretha Franklin, there's been Queen, we've done everything. And the entire, um, from six to 12 are the people who do it. And the entire school does it mm-hmm. in unison at the same time. And yeah, it's on the turf. Um, like parents and spectators will come and line up across the entire edge of it. Um, and then each dance gets to do their own cultural dance, which I've always found really fun because first of all, the dances are fun themselves, but also it's cool to learn about a new culture and to learn about something else in a way that's respectful um, to that culture and like is a- appreciation and not appropriation, which mm-hmm. has been really fun. That's cool. That's awesome. I I never really knew about gym drill until people were talking about, yeah, we've got rehearsals in the afternoon yeah. and sounds fun yeah it is it's actually very fun for us and i think that people who watch do enjoy it if it's not raining or super hot which it has been in years past uh, because you're there for a while but um it actually is super entertaining to watch and it's always the highlight of i honestly i'd say that most of my friends and most of the people at Bryn Mawr would agree that gym drill is totally like the highlight of the year so i you guys do a lot of really good community building mm-hmm. type events at Bryn Mawr, I feel like. Yeah. You've got that, and you've got the assembly, the mandatory assembly. And I feel like to that point where the younger students are kind of watching the seniors and the juniors lead, they get a good picture of what leadership looks like. Yeah. So I'd say that Bryn Mawr definitely values leadership on a scale that is just so different from other places because it's not just um, the class presidents or like people in SGA that are leaders. We have many different organizations and then also within clubs, within classes, within sports, like there is an opportunity for absolutely anybody to get leadership experience. And I think that that's something that's lost in other places where it's either like a popularity contest or there's just not that right activities for the people who are looking for it. Um, and so I would say that Bryn Mawr definitely highlights leadership in a way that's unique um, and community building. And so we are really one Bryn Mawr. And that has been so fun to see because you don't have friends just in your grade. You have friends in all the grades. And then you have friends even in the lower school, like young girls who you can tutor or the teachers. Like the te- you're so close to your teachers and to everyone. You do feel like it's just such a tight-knit community. Um, my this is my favorite time of year. This and the fall are my favorite times of year because um, it's nice outside. And Burmar, one of my favorite things about Burmar is I think it has a beautiful campus, lots of trees, lots of grass, and space to be outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love this time of year because instead of hunkering down in the library and doing work, you'll see people sprawled out on Gordon Field, or you'll see people like sitting in the uh, like an outside the library in our little portico. Um, and I think it's just a totally different dynamic. Um, but I'd also say that I've never felt, like when I lock into a library and I see a sophomore that I'm friends with, I don't just like wave while I'm past. I go up, I talk to her, I say, how are you? Sometimes I'll even sit down and work with them. Mm-hmm. It's just much more collaborative and together. And um, I think my experience in sports, I've been on swimming all four years um, and a lot of the people I knew before from just the swimming world is very small 
Um, but I met so many new people and so many people who had never swam before but did it. And like that has been so much fun. And the coach is my middle school history teacher who has always been such a great guy to me. Um, and so it's really just nice to have that sort of community in all of the facets there. I want to get into swimming. That's one workout that I feel like. So yoga is good because it's no yes. no impact. Yeah. Like running, I like to run. I like to be out, outside. Mm-hmm. But you're you're pounding your knees yeah. and my hips and mm-hmm. you know, I like the. Uh, I like no, uh, swimming would be yeah. great for me. I yeah. think. So first of all, I'd tell you that you should absolutely start swimming, and that swimming is, the progress is how much you put into it. Um, I swam my entire life. Unfortunately, now I'm swimming less, um, but like you, I've always had problems with my knees and my back. So running was never an option. Now my mom is somebody who loved to run half and full marathons and was like, that is her piece is running. Mm -hmm. And both me and my sister could just never relate to that. Um, And so we ended up trying out for swimming. When I tried out for swimming, I cried so much. I was like, I cried so much that the coach told me I only have to swim half a lap and you had to swim a full lap to qualify to swim on the team. So I swam half a lap and I swam a lot for a lot more time and a lot more years than any of the people who swam the full lap. So um, I don't know. It's just it was always like my my safe space. I played soccer and lacrosse. I tried them all, but swimming was the one that stuck with me. Um, and I used to play violin for years, and that um, always worked really well with swimming because they were always at different times. Um, but I'd say that swimming is very peaceful. It's just something that, even though it's a team sport, it's so individual. Um, but I think that's something I then started to struggle with. Um, and I know Francesca was on here talking about mental health in sports, and that's where I ever since COVID, I had a lot of problems going back to swimming because instead of being somewhere like peaceful where I have a blank slate, I would be worrying. And when you're there, you're stuck with your thoughts and whatever you're thinking about in the water. Um, Now, that's not for people who are just swimming for fun um, or casually, but like in a set when you're on a specific times and you have to go when they're telling you to go and you have to go a certain speed and do a certain stroke. Mm -hmm. It's just not as therapeutic now so I I have just had those problems with it and getting stuck Um, and so I've done a lot of advocacy for mental health and being able to advocate for yourself is just so important because it's something that makes you feel so alone Um, but I'm a big advocate of finding a form of exercise that you truly enjoy and so that's how I switched into yoga Um, Mm. and I love to do a mix of both and there's times where I'll just go to the Y and like swim on my own do my own set because it's great it's just like the pressure I felt was not what I wanted and unfortunately during COVID I was forced to switch teams um and I'm so grateful for the team that took me in um and my coach there is great but it just was never quite right because as I said I'm community-based person and I lost the people I'd I mean I'd swam I swam here at Gilman on Mariners for nine years so I had grown up with these people and then we had all split off and go gone different ways and the two people I switched with were two years older than me so they graduated I had a whole year left Um, and there were great people on that team and people I'm just so thankful to have met Um, but it just it lacked something to push me Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I've tried all different other forms of exercise. So yoga is my current deal, Mm -hmm. but um, I'm sure give it a couple months, I might be switching it up again. Yeah, it's Um, good to switch it up, you know. It's good for the body, too, to have a variety of outlets. That's why I like core power, especially because they have so many different kinds of classes, um, depending on what you think your body needs. But I'd say that what I've found to love about yoga is that it is that blank mind slate that I used to have with swimming. And so I really do feel like when I go in there, I am present in myself um, and, and I'm not thinking about other things. And if I am, it's so much easier for me to just kind of dispel that away mm-hmm. and to keep moving forward. And I think it's a great time to set your own intentions of like how you want to be and how you want to live and carry yourself. Um, and I just think reflection is like one of the most important things that people can do. I've never been a journaler, but um, I do take time to reflect a lot. Um, and I think that that's a time where you really get all the time in the world to just think. Yeah, yoga is great because um, it's hard. You know, yeah. it's a lot harder than people think, <laughs> mm-hmm. especially the sculpt, the yeah. yoga sculpt. You that's know, my favorite. The first couple of times that I walked into yoga sculpt, I was like, oh, like five, three pound weights. You know, that's uh, I, I can grab the 15 and just no, it's Mm-mm. it's so hot. It's yeah. so hard. You're holding poses for a long period mm-hmm. of time. And it's really good because you don't really have time to to worry about certain things. You have or to focus think, yeah. on the on the moment, mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. Yeah. Sculpt is just is definitely my favorite um, because not only do you just like sweat and, and feel good after. And that's the thing that um, I love to lift weights because that's just something that I've always been good at and that I enjoy but whenever I leave I never feel as accomplished as like when I would get out of swim practice and I'd be breathless and sweating and whatever so it gives me that but it also gives me the strength but like you were saying like it doesn't matter how much you can lift in real life you get in there with a pound the set of five pound weights and it feels like 50 like you feel like you're dying Um, and yeah and everything takes so much attention that there's not time to think about anything else until the very end when you're when you get to invite whatever thoughts you want back in um, which has been super helpful and you're so tired at the end that you don't even really need to think you just go relax it's the best yeah you don't care it is the best best. and it's good because you know I walked in there a couple weeks ago and there were 30 people there are a ton of people in there and I almost left. I was like, I said to the lady at the front, I'm, uh, too many people in here. I'm, she was like, no, no, get back in there. And once you're in there and moving, you forget that anyone else is there. Yeah. And no one is judgmental. I've met, so first of all, all the people that work there are awesome and have been so nice to me. And every time I come in, oh, Elise, you're here. I'm so happy to see you, you know, um, which just makes you excited, especially when it's something new and uncomfortable. Um, or like during class, I'll be like, oh, good like mm-hmm. no it just makes you happy um but also the other people in the class are so great and so everybody's struggling nobody is perfect and especially in those hard classes um nobody is having a great time um so it's almost like um, a mutual feeling um and afterwards i love to talk to the people there because everybody's doing something else and doing their own thing but you all come together to do this um and I think what's super important is that you're that you show up, and they are very good at um, telling you that you don't need to get the heaviest weights, or you don't need to do all of the reps, or you can take a modification like if you're not feeling it. Um, and that's something that 
I kind of lacked in swimming because it is just you do it the same way as everybody else. But there's some days where you're just your body can't. There's some days where you want to be extra challenged. So having those options Mm -hmm. um, is really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yoga is the best. Mm-hmm. Sculpt is one that I have to force myself. I wouldn't say it was. It's my favorite one to go to. Yeah. I'd say the C two is my C2 favorite is because it's the right mm-hmm. you know amount of and difficulty yeah. and feel good. Mm-hmm. Like sculpt, I'm blacked out after that. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I usually go from yoga straight to rehearsal because it's the only time since we rehearse Mondays through Thursday. Um, and the only sculpt on Fridays is like one o'clock when I'm in convocation. Like that's the only time I can go. Um, and so either I do a sculpt before I do a C2 and the C2 is great. And honestly, some days it's harder than sculpt because you just have to hold such like much harder poses for much longer. Um, but I'd say sculpt, like I just walk out feeling rewarded, but I, when I, my drive from there to Gilman after, there's not a single thought in my mind. I'm just completely wiped. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then to go to rehearsal is, is fun. But when I get home, I'm ready to knock out. Wow. Wow. That's, that's tough. I mean, yeah. after yoga, I want to go to yeah. bed. <laughs> Take a nap. Yeah. So that's why I'm very diligent in getting my work done before I do any of that. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, I will be very unhappy and very tired at 9 o'clock trying to do my work. And I'm someone who's like... Strict 10.30, if my work's not done, it's not getting done, and it doesn't benefit anybody if I come to school tomorrow oh, wow. and I can't learn. So now, granted, that doesn't happen very often with me, and mostly when I'm like, okay, donezo, like I'm not doing that. It's not an assignment that's due the, the next day because I usually do it one day in advance. Um, but sometimes I just need to put it down and be like, this is not benefiting me anymore. And if I am tired or not giving my best tomorrow, then that's going to be three classes that I feel like I'm not understanding or I'm not doing as well in. Um, that's pretty good because I was asking my class actually today what time most people go to bed and majority of the class said midnight. Yeah. Which I, midnight I, to 6.30 probably wake up is, I don't oh, think that's enough. It's the worst. It's the worst and I just don't like that feeling when you wake up and you just immediately dread everything and I I don't know I'm not a night person but I'm also not a morning person like I don't really think I classify in either but I would definitely rather go to bed early and wake up early than go to bed super late and wake up late um and I like I set my alarm every day for 644 I don't know why I set it in freshman year never fixed it to 645 (laughs) um but every day I snooze it twice I get up I get changed I always set my uniform out the night before because I'm just my mind is blank in the morning and I can't think about where my socks are and I can't so it just makes it simpler and I enjoy that sort of piece of just 10 minutes of getting ready where just nothing is happening but um, my parents hate it but I'm somebody who always needs background noise so I'll always put on like a tv show but on like low volume and I'm not watching it and I I've already seen the series three times through but it's just good background noise for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, let's get to Washington University is where mm-hmm. you're going next yes, year. Yes, What made you decide to apply early there? What's it like there? I've never been there. St. Louis, Missouri, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's tough to tell people I'm going to Missouri, cause, but then I always have to follow it up with St. Louis. And actually, what's most interesting is it's very similar to Baltimore. I was walking around um, campus between meetings with people, and 
we came a little bit off campus and it felt like I was walking through Roland Park, um, which was crazy. But um, personally, I didn't really want to go somewhere that had a huge Baltimore contingency. Um, and I also wanted a medium-sized school in a city, or a ci- I call it city adjacent. Like I didn't want to be in New York. I didn't want to be in Chicago or Boston. I just wanted to be a little bit out, um, just so I could have an actual campus. And WashU fit all those criteria, and I want to study biomedical engineering, um, and they have a great engineering school there um, that I knew I could apply into. And um, it came down to a couple schools, and honestly, at the end of the day, WashU was the only one that actually checked every single box that I had, um, and I decided to go with my gut. Um, and it's it's not an easy school to get into, and I knew that if I left it off to ED2 or to regular decision, like my chances would be very low. Um, and I decided to just trust my gut. And I had visited, when I decided I was going to ED there, my parents decided um, I could visit. So I went and I saw um, a couple of girls from Bryn Mawr who are there now, and they just absolutely love it. And the two girls that I saw are complete opposite people. Um, and always have been as long as I've known them, but they both loved WashU for completely different reasons. And that made me feel good to know, like, these are two people who have con- chosen completely different paths, completely different majors, and have both found their own community and their happiness there, um, which is just, I'm really excited about it. Um, and a sweet girl in my grade, Meredith, is also going. So oh, that'll good. Be, it'll be nice to have yeah, somebody. Yeah, you got somebody. Um, but yeah, that was at the end of the day. That's what it came down to. And the campus is beautiful. Um, and I just, I, it was one of those things where I had um, taken, done like a little online interview with a student there. And he had asked me, this was almost a year and a half ago now, have you visited campus? And I said, oh no, like my parents don't want me to visit until I get in somewhere or decide to apply early. And he was like, well, you should come visit campus because you should but nobody has ever come to campus and then left saying they didn't love it. Like everybody who comes falls in love with the campus because it's beautiful. It's right on onto a park. Um, and there's just, it just felt right when I was there. Lots of outdoor space. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I really, um, one of the big things it came down to is I really want to study abroad. And um, engineering is famous for not allowing kids to study abroad. And WashU was the only school in my top contenders that would allow me to study abroad and still graduate in four years. So everywhere else said, you know, you can study abroad, but you're going to have to do four and a half because those credits aren't going to transfer back. So they do have special programs there that allow for me to do that. Um, And that was kind of my final nail in the coffin to be like, this is it. That's good that you know what you want to study. You know you want to go abroad. You know Mm -hmm. where you want to go abroad. So I don't. There's a such a long list which is like very lucky because even if you can study abroad engineering it's very limited usually but they've got places all over so when I was in Australia and when I was in New Zealand I actually saw two of the schools I didn't go and tour but you know I we walked through the campuses um there's one like in University of Sydney and then one in University of Auckland which is in New Zealand oh that'd be cool um I can go to University of Edinburgh there's a couple schools in like London School of Economics or something like which is random and but uh, I could go to Trinity. There's one in Hong Kong. Like, there's just, I could choose literally anything. Luckily, I've got some time um, to choose, but it does make me feel nice that it, 
I really do have options. Yeah. So I forgot that you went to Australia and New Zealand yes, recently. Yes. Was that just a vacation that you went on? Yeah. So ironically, my sister is studying abroad there. Um, nice. So she's at the University of Wollongong, which is about an hour south of Sydney. And we wanted to go visit because it's once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, we were gone for three weeks, which is definitely a hefty time to be gone, especially as a second semester senior um, in school and working. Um, but one of the weeks was spring break. And then the other two weeks, my teachers were so nice to me and were like, this is an incredible opportunity. And I can't wait to see you when you get back, but enjoy your time. I did my physics and my calculus from there. But all the other classes I kind of put on um, the back bench, at least while I was there. Um, and it was incredible. What was the highlight of the trip? Mm -hmm. Queenstown, New Zealand. So there's a North and South Island of New Zealand. The South Island is the most beautiful place I've ever been to. Uh, we were in Queenstown, which it's just these enormous mountains and they're super steep. So you're super close to them and they feel all that bigger. Um, my aunt owns a ranch out in Montana and there's the same sort of like beautiful, huge mountains, but they don't feel that big where we are because they're not super steep, but they're super tall. So this was a totally different feeling. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have parents who really do love travel and find it super valuable. Um, and we were in the position where we were able to go. Um, and so they hopped on that chance, which I'm super grateful for and that they would bring me as well. Um, and it was, totally incredible my yeah my favorite place was definitely queenstown i i loved sydney i thought it was a really cool place um but it's funny when you go across when you go abroad to somewhere like australia or new zealand there are so many similarities to places in the u.s and that's something i always forget when i go abroad is that the U the u.s is so diverse mm -hmm. like out west versus the east coast is totally different and uh, my parents um, lived in seattle for a long time so we've gone back a couple times and um, there was sort of that West Coast vibe um, in a lot of these places we went to, which was just beautiful, beautiful trees, beautiful mountains, um, really unforgettable. And three weeks is a long time with just my parents. but And the flight, what, 20 hours? Yeah, something like that, because it was five to L.A. on the way there and then 12, but then on the way back, or sorry, on the way there it was seven and then fifteen, and then on the way back it was twelve and five. So we had an, we had a nine hour layover in LAX, which is just never where you want to be for nine hours. Jeez. Um, but was it miserable the it, travel? A little bit, but it was so worth it. It was like yeah. the second you step off the plane, you're like, God, thank God I'm here. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad, and it's worth it. And so my sister actually also studied abroad. In South Africa. Um, oh, she's done two. So she's done two. So this one was through Bryn Mawr, and this is one they still have going. They just are starting it back up this year um, with this place called Herschel in South in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, and so we had an exchange here for two months. Then my sister went away for two months. Blue was her. My sister's name is Gray. Her exchange was Blue. My dog is Teal, and her uh, Blue's sister's name is Indigo. So there's just like a lot of colors for a little while, wow. um, but her exchange was great like I loved blue and she became like a sister to me um and then this was my sister's um summer into junior year so there's they go during the summer and then the other one will come later um and they leave around December 
I believe. Um, and so we were actually able to visit her when she was in Cape Town, which was also incredible um, and also a very long plane ride. And that yeah. one was arguably worse just because it was pretty much, I don't think we ever changed flights. Like I think it was just an 18 hour, you know, you touch down places, but we never got off the plane. It was like an 18 hour just shot, yeah, uh, which was tough, but, and I'm not somebody who sleeps on airplanes or in cars. So it takes a while for me to, the movies are a savior for sure. Wow. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's awesome though. Yeah. It sound, I'd, I'd love to go to Australia someday. Um, sounds like a cool trip. Would you like to study abroad there maybe? Yeah, I was thinking about it. So, um, I don't know if I'd do Sydney. Like there's so many different campuses they have. Um, my sister's campus, I don't have the opportunity to study there, but it was incredible. Like you felt like you were in almost like a jungle of sorts, you know, lots of trees. I mean, it was a huge school. I think it's like 60,000 people. Um, and I didn't know that. I thought we were, cause she goes to such a small liberal arts school. I thought that's what she was getting into, but it's a huge, like big university, um, which I think she's having fun just kind of experiencing both ways of life. Um, but it was really beautiful. And so I'd definitely consider it, but it might be fun. And I think my parents would enjoy if I went somewhere else mm-hmm. so that they'd have a new place to visit mm-hmm. and not 15 hours away. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. Well, let's get to the book, of Frankenstein, course. Interesting Choice. Yes. How did you come across Frankenstein? Okay, so Women's Science Fiction with Dr. Waters at Bryn Mawr has been my favorite class, my favorite English class I've taken at Bryn Mawr by far. Um, so what I per- why I recommend Frankenstein so much is there is the Frankenstein that we know from, you know, with the bolts out of his head and shocked by electricity. And honestly, reading this book, I was like, how did anybody ever get to that? Because it's totally different. And we, um, because it's women's science fiction, we looked at it through the lens of like, motherhood and Mary Shelley was only 18 when she wrote Frankenstein yeah. mm-hmm. and pretty much created the genre of science fiction um, and she herself had such a interesting experience with life and death like she gave birth to a lot of kids who tragically died during childbirth her own mother died when she was born and like she just had a lot of confusion when it came to life and death so this whole book we analyzed it through that lens of like um, Dr. Frankenstein trying to create life and bypass motherhood in order to just create life. Um, also, the fact that he's creating it from dead people um, is symbolic. And um, the most compelling part, in my opinion, is when um, Frankenstein's monster, who is never named, and that's another interesting thing that it has become in, in culture that the monster's name is Frankenstein and not the doctor. And so, um, uh, Dr. Frankenstein's monster becomes sentient and he has feelings and he reflects on the world and he wonders what his um, purpose in life is and it's just all very human and I've, I'm somebody who's done a lot of work with um, AI and especially during Ethics Bowl we've done a lot on ChatGPT and about uh, large language models um, and also just this past summer I did an internship where I worked on um, some different like uh, um, smart learning models. And um, it just made me think about how do we draw the line of what is human and what what is humanity at its root that's different from 
something like this because mm-hmm. like is it sentience that makes that line is it an actual human body that makes that line um and and where can we discern that line and so that's what the whole class kind of explores um and dr waters does an incredible job picking stories that reflect that and make you ask questions which is always my favorite thing um but i i'd recommend it to anybody because it's totally different than you're expecting it to be and it was a book that I genuinely enjoyed from start to end. And the conversations we had about it were just amazing. And it's not that long of a book. I mean, this book, only a quarter of it is the actual story. And the rest are essays and analysis of it. I got my version right here. Yeah, exactly. Yours is so much smaller than mine. Yeah. Um, and our edition has um, essays and drawings and different things um, and timelines. And those were super helpful because... Not only could we interpret it our way, then we looked at it um, in modern applications. So this one says Frankenstein and radical science and um, Frankenstein and film. And we just talked about how does, even though it's a, a story that surrounds a lot of male characters, how does Mary Shelley's experiences kind of influence that? Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting for today. You were talking about ChatGPT a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about I was actually talking to the head of the English department a little bit in passing about ChatGPT and ethics yeah. and how, I don't know, what do you think? Like in the future, will you go to a machine for answers about questions that today you would just ask your best friends or your parents? Like, yeah. what should I do in this situation? And the machine will give you the best answer that weighs every risk and exactly. gives you probably the quote-unquote right answer yeah well we've already started to see this and I think this is something that people don't even think about but people do that all the time when they google something oh what should I do blank or what does this mean what's wrong with me yeah exactly WebMD Um, pops up and mm -hmm. says you've got a cold yeah so it's it's mixing that and it's mixing what we view as sentience and humanity and Um, We spent a lot of time um, picking apart, like, what is a human, only to switch it around and just be like, does it even matter if it is? Like, what the implications that this has on society, um, and what we were trying to argue is that ChatGPT, now that it's been created, isn't going to go away. And so um, I know a lot of schools are pushing for, you know, it being banned. I know it's, like, obviously banned in classrooms now, but in the future... Um, but I just think it's going to reach a point, and it is so smart, that um, it'll eventually be undetectable. And so I think that instead of asking the question of how do we stop this, we look more into the questions of how do we embrace this? How do we use this to benefit everybody, to explain the hard problems? Um, our own English teacher asked the question. She's like, does anybody's writing matter anymore if a computer can produce something similar? in a couple of minutes. Um, And she was like, listen, I don't even know the answer to that. Like, of course I think people's writing matters, but what makes the computer's writing not matter? Um, But I think that there's just so many conversations to be had there. And a teacher, I've become very close to my teacher, Miss Bala this year, who worked at Microsoft on um, large language models um, and machine learning. And even with my own professor last summer working on a machine learning model, it was crazy to see how quickly these can adapt and learn and work. And I 
did a project to detect um, hypertension based on like a survey um, that doesn't require blood pressure, which is the main thing. Um, and it was like, there's so, what people don't understand is there's so many different types of these models. So I used um, seven or eight and got one that had 85% success rate of guessing. So then I was like, okay, this is good. And you continue to train it and train it and train it. And it's almost like a dog. And then all of a sudden it knows what it's doing Mm -hmm. and it can predict with a 98% like uh, success rate. Um, Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you think about artificial intelligence in medicine in the future and how like I can picture a world where I I would rather have a surgeon who is computerized. Oh, yeah than a human because a human has a shaky hand, has too much yeah. coffee in the morning, right? And yeah. is that is that ethical or not? And all those questions arise exactly. that you'll probably have to deal with mm-hmm. in the next couple of years. Yeah, we did a case um, that was asking, um, you know, who's to blame if a surgery goes wrong, if the robot is performing it? Is it um, somebody who should be spectating? Is it the hospital? The programmer? Is it, is it the people who programmed it? Is it the people who built the parts? Like. Who is, can we even blame a machine? Like, should the machine be blamed? And can you even place blame on something that's not what we deem human? Um, So there's so many different sides. And that's why Ethics Bowl is so much fun because every single person will have a different side and then we kind of compile it down. Um, And it was just, it's great. And those sorts of questions are so exciting. And I am going to be pre-med, so it's fun to see the, the... like overlap between mm-hmm. engineering and medical sciences. Um, and my grandfather, who's my biggest inspiration in life, um, was a surgeon for many, many years um, and still talks to me about it all the time and talks about new innovations and, and tells me about all these different things. And it, it is very inspirational to kind of see that the world is going to continue to move forward. And that's why when it comes to AI um, and computer science, we should, I feel like we should embrace it and learn how to work it in our favor rather than try to push it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I would love to uh, have another podcast conversation with you like 10 years into the future and see <laughs> what's going on in the world and yeah. see what you say after <laughs> your experience in college and afterward. Sure, it'll be different, yeah. It'll be totally different, but it'll be interesting. Um, yeah. Elise, last question. If you could recommend somebody from Bryn Mawr or just in general to come on our podcast, who would it be? Would it be a friend? Would it be a teacher? Mm. I think that I would have to recommend. Now, I'm not sure he would do it, but my physics teacher, Mr. Amon, has been just one of my the greatest teachers I've ever had of all time. I had him my freshman year, and I remember getting so frustrated because I'd get something wrong or I didn't know how to do something, and he'd be like, it's okay. Or you mess something up, and he laughs at you, and he laughs with you. Um, and it's something where you're like expecting your teacher to sit down with you and work with, and he'll do that, but he'll also like give you the push when you need the push. He's not going to coddle you. And I remember freshman year being so frustrated. And then now that I'm taking AP Physics this year, it's like the best thing ever to look back and be like, oh, he was just showing us support and and letting us spread our own wings and try to figure it out. Um, and he's definitely changed my experience for the better. Um, and I think he's a super wise guy um, and has 
super interesting. He's got his one ear pierced. He's got talking parrots at home. He's lived a million different lives. Um, but his true passion is teaching physics to people at Bryn Mawr. Um, and I think there's just such beauty in that. And he's awesome. incredible. Mr. Almond? Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. I'll yeah. send him an email. Thank you very much. <laughs> Elise, appreciate you coming in today. It was Thank a fun so conversation. Much. Thank you so much for having me. It's great. Of course.